Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. This week on the PR Moment Podcast, I'm talking to Frank PR co-founder and chairman, Graham Goodkind. Graham started his career at Lynn Franks PR, rising from account exec to MD. He left Lynn Franks when it was sold to Ketchum in 1998, and he then became a bit of an internet entrepreneur before starting Frank in the year 2000. Graham, welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Thanks for having me. Graham, it seems to me, well, and, and talking to you, you've always had a, a passion for stories and the media. Where does that come from? Have you always had it, or do you think you developed it? I think I've always had it since I was a kid, actually. I remember when I was going to school, um, I said, um, you've got to read a newspaper every day. It'd be good for you. And read the FT or read the Telegraph. And I thought to myself, mm, sounds uh, interesting. I like the idea of reading a newspaper every day, but I don't really fancy the FT or the Telegraph. And I want to read the newspaper that most people are reading, not just a few elite people are reading. So that led me to The Sun. I also love sport, and The Sun had the best sport. And I basically became an avid fan of The Sun and, and, and reading that. How I old guess, are you at this point? What, are we... 14, 15. Okay, and I so, guess that so was. So secondary the, school. Yeah, and that was well. like, the, I guess, the time when The Sun was sort of buccaneering journalism and uh, leading into the Kelvin McKenzie years um, and all the fun and games that The Sun had. So it was brilliant at the back half of the sport and brilliant at the, fun half, at the front half for uh, lots of entertaining yeah. news stories. And I guess that, that helped me understand what what makes a tabloid news story and I guess when you understand what makes a tabloid news story innately that helps in PR because you understand what makes a a story and uh, that's always been my sweet spot I guess the the sort of more populist mass market um, type story and obviously that plays out very well for a career in consumer PR where you're trying to appeal normally to as many consumers as possible. But it's interesting that that happened at school at quite a young age. Yeah, I guess I always loved the media. I naturally liked, you know, um, was into um, video games when I was a kid. I, I kind of got into the internet before anyone else did. I remember when I was working at Lim Franks, I was the first person by a year to have a connection to the internet, a dodgy modem connection, um, you know, to, to get online in the early days before anyone else was. Right. I always loved new forms of media anything new that was being published, new magazines, I just naturally had an appetite for it. And I I think, you know, these days, it's quite funny, if you look at it, a lot of people coming to the business don't have that natural hunger or passion for media as I did when I came into the business. But I'd always had that. It was, it was, I guess, part of my makeup. But it's quite nice. It was quite interesting that you had a, uh, it was that passion for the media mixed with a bit of, of, of interesting technology, which kind of, you know, you you wouldn't have known it at the time, but it gave you a sweet spot into consumer public relations. Yeah, and sport, I guess. I mean, when okay. I, I never knew what I wanted to do, and um, my parents were always more worried about it um, than I was. And I went. To, I remember they sent me to a careers counselor or advisor when I was about fifteen, sixteen, and and uh, the the job that was for me apparently was to be a a sports journalist, which actually wasn't a million miles off. Yeah, because I did like writing and enjoyed writing. And I liked English and I loved sport and. Um, I never. I did actually become a sports journalist. I remember I actually used to do a freelance uh, writing role for Taxi Globe, which was the taxi uh, drivers' weekly newspaper, and a friend wow. of mine was editor there. And I actually did actually end up writing three or four features for Taxi Globe once upon a time. Which so I did become a sports journalist for a bit. Okay. 
Now, just going back into your early career, you started at, at Linfranks mm-hmm. PR. How, how old were you then? What was the... It was, uh, sounds a long time ago, but I started in Christmas 90, 1988. Good memory. Was that, was Linfranks PR as crazy as legend has it? Well, you say good memory because re- the reason I remember it was Christmas 1988 was because in Christmas 1988, she had a white party. Um, and when you ask, I, I have no idea it, what that might mean. Well, but everything, that, everything me. that you think of and more. I, I, I always remember. <laughs> I can remember it. Like, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, so I obviously didn't get too affected by the substances that were right. on offer at the party. But it was it was everything you'd expect of that. Right. I remember as you walked in, there was this sort of six foot eight, six foot ten giant guy who was holding uh, a silver platter. Right. And on that silver platter was sat a small dwarf. Right. Um, and that dwarf was handing out um, special cigarettes, if you like, to right. everyone as they came into the party. And it was obviously everyone was dressed in white or silver. And you can, everyone, I think, I think Sapporo or Sahi was the <laughs> drinks that were on offer, and the white stuff was was abounding. And I thought, wow, this is uh, this is the PR. World. And how old were you now? How you're, old? You're, well, you're, you know, this is like. Yeah, this, was, this is when you joined. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I was okay. 22 when I started, um, and that was my first experience of, uh, of a Christmas party at Lim Frank's. And you didn't think, I need to get the hell out of here right now. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> that time I thought, I want, I want some more of this, please. Um, so, uh, that, but it wasn't always like that. I mean, no. it, you know, it was, you know, the stories were, it was a, a brilliant agency, I have to say, and, and Lim was, uh, was, was, you know, a very... Um, uh, inspired woman, very creative, very passionate, you know, had a gut feel for what was going to happen in the future and wasn't afraid to uh, tell that view to different clients. Clients loved hearing it. Staff loved hearing it. She was, you know, an inspiring woman in that respect. Well, that's the thing with it, isn't it? Because as time has gone by, sort of the the, the legend has become almost, uh, you know, Ab Fab has has clearly had some impact on that and it's become... uh, I suspect that the good elements of, of 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 what was a great agency at the time have have, have become lost in the sounds of time, frankly. So, yeah, it, I, it, I, I don't know, I'm not sure they have. I think okay. I think I think a lot of people that were there um, were went off to do very good things well, within the business. Exactly. As well. Yeah. So yeah. That, there's a lot of people who were at that point who have who've done really well in the sector. Yeah, so, so what, so what made spawned. it as a, as uh, you know? I tell you what. What it behind me. my uh, question is that yeah. the some of the stuff that the consumer media stories type stuff that Frank does, mm. you know, wasn't there when, when Lynn Frank was going, Lynn Frank, is it a similar kind of gig? No, or it wasn't what? really. No, I, I think what it was was a very, what I learned from it. I mean, I, I was one of these people, I don't know, as, 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 as most people who know me know, I love, I love football. And when I was there, I was like a player. I worked my way up through the ranks from a trainee junior account executive actually ended up you know through to being managing director there in yep. the space of sort of seven years later I was MD so I was quite young to be an MD but all the time when I was there I was watching Lynn and Lynn was very involved in the business with her husband Paul at the time and Paul was the CEO used to run the business side of it Lynn was the creative and right. did a lot of the fashion clients and lifestyle clients um, and I funnily enough I was actually more close to Paul in that respect and I always liked like which makes sense, but, you know, uh, 
knowing you now and how you want, yeah, how I, how you've run Frank. So correct. you learned quite a bit from. Well, Paul. I was always learning. You know, it's like 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 using the sporting analogy or football analogy. I was like a footballer there. I was a, a player, and I was sort of trying to learn the best bits yeah. out of the people that right. I was working with, and not just what I would do if I had my own agency one day, but what I wouldn't do yeah. as well. Um, Which is that, very often equally as important isn't yeah. it, as what you would do. Yeah. Okay. But it was a good, you know, it was certainly fantastic experience for me. What I guess for me, what I loved was the culture of the place, the um, uh, sort of free spirited attitude towards it that work should be somewhere that you enjoyed and if you enjoyed it then you do your best work where you could be yourself you could be completely natural you didn't have to pretend to be someone that you weren't um, and creating the right environment for people to excel that agency or Lim Franks at the time was very much a fashion PR agency uh, when I joined it obviously I'm not particularly fashionable or at all fashionable depending I'm not going to comment on that Graham no I look quite good today but, <laughs> but, but you know um, but no it wasn't my bag really but what became my bag really was working with brands who wanted to become fashionable right. and that became from when I joined what maybe five ten percent of the business were your regular FMCG consumer marketing consumer facing type brands the rest was fashion and lifestyle you know sort of six seven years later I would say 90 percent of the revenue of the business was from FMCG type brands who wanted to be fashionable so right. you know our play and the Lim Franks play in those days was helping clients become fashionable through our fashion heritage and background and knowing what makes something you know work and resonate with consumers was really what 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 we did and I ended up you know running lots and lots of business that reflected that and that's I guess why I you know got the job once Lynn had moved on and um, well, she'd actually sold it to a big ad agency. Lynn Franks became owned by a big ad agency group that in turn got owned by other sorts of groups. So our ultimate ownership kept on chopping and changing. But, but in the end, Lynn Franks was sold to Ketchum? Have I got that wrong? Lynn Franks became part of the group of agencies that then got bought by Omnicom. To become um, Ketchum. And then, you know, Ketchum decided or Omnicom decided they didn't like having so many different separate brands at the time. I, still, right. I actually still don't think that, that, that's their strategy anyway. And they basically got rid of the Lim Franks brand and it got consumed within Ketchum and just became like the consumer department of Ketchum. Sure. So did you ever work for, Ke- for, for, for Omnicom? No. So you, 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 you I left, left at before, the time. Yeah, uh, I, I, so when know, it was bought, you left? Being when it was in bought, yeah, I, I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, I had sort of phantom shares as they were in 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 Lim Franks at the time so I managed to to cash out at the time and right. um you know I I sort of had at the time a, an idea for uh, an internet um, exactly. business and internet ideas it all happened quite nicely and it all happened actually at Lim Franks okay. we'd won a bit of business or kind of going back to what I said about being connected to the internet um, one of the first things being an Arsenal fan that I did when I was sort of establishing those first connections by modem with the internet was trying to find Arsenal information out and there were all sorts of news groups but in those days there was there was no such thing as websites for football clubs um, and um, you know I could see that websites were there and I thought it'd be quite a good idea if Arsenal had one um, and a friend of mine had just got out of the city and become a web designer to learn how to code and HTML in those days so his business was a web designer and I said well look how about we approach Arsenal um, I'll do all the writing of the site and the copy and the marketing when it comes to uh, marketing PR when it comes to launching it you do all the design and build of the website we'll pair up and we'll do it right. as a joint venture between Lim Franks and you as a designer Designer City was the name of the company he said okay I got in touch with Arsenal I found the guy the IT guy at Arsenal then someone else at Arsenal and eventually ended up doing a pitch to the ex-chairman of Arsenal, David Dean, really? um, uh, no. in a box at Highbury, I remember, um, telling him why Arsenal should have uh, its own website. And what, what year are we in now? 
Where are we? Mid nineties. Okay. Mid nineties. Uh, yeah, no, late nineties. Sorry, it's about ninety six, ninety seven. So, any other football club have a website? Did Man United I think have a Liverpool website? Liverpool got there first, actually. Right. Liverpool got there first, but at the time that we were talking to Arsenal, so right. okay. that helped seal the so deal. It was kind of, yeah. And Arsenal said, "Sure, we got to have one." Um, anyway, so we went off, and me and my friend uh, from Design City, Jeremy, went off to build this website. And as I, we were working weekends because the project was really not that much from fees you know you're working for Arsenal and and, and they thought it was a brand worthy of working for working and so for did nothing. I uh, being yeah. in love with Arsenal so they didn't pay us a lot so we were doing a lot of work on weekends doing it and as we were sitting there I was kept on saying to Jeremy you know when we were sending emails to the guys at Arsenal they all had the email address at arsenal.co.uk and being an Arsenal fan and Jeremy was saying oh I wish I had an email address like this instead of being graham93749 at hotmail.com yeah, yeah, yeah. which was yeah. the email address at the time and and anyway, so from that insight, I guess the nugget of our idea was born, and that idea we originally called Funmail. We yeah. then renamed it Another dot com because it was a bit ironic. And um, that was that was in essence your your own internet startup, correct? Um, um, and, and that's how it came about, correct? Right? And, okay. and basically, the idea behind the business was it was uh, you could have uh, we went and bought about forty five fifty thousand domain names a bit after the at sign that you could choose from, and users could go to our website and they could choose and they could have up to 20 different email addresses right. that expressed how they felt so i could be graham uh, okay. i could be graham at i love arsenal.co.uk uh, uh, graham at i love arsenal.co.uk i could be graham at horny.co.uk or graham, graham at i hate arsenal if they happen to have lost that day correct right. exactly yeah. or graham at wenger out would be a very topical one to have these days but okay. you could basically i mean, I mean i'm you know i'm not going to big you up but it was an idea ahead of its time really wasn't I it it was, so. it was a good one um, I think so. And anyway, so we built that business and um, and and uh, and went through the journey of. But, of a but dot when com. you say built it, I mean you. It was a startup, right? With you and your mate. It was a startup. We managed uh, so to. Yeah. Did you have any? Was anybody backing you, or was, yeah, we, it, a, was it a punt? What, no, what we got happened? other people involved. We went out and we got. Uh, you called it um, angel funding. Right. You called it now, and we got a quarter million pounds in angel funding, which okay. was a lot of money in those days. A lot of money yeah. in those days, uh, and we went and and then could scale up a little bit more. We started producing it, produced the website, built the technology behind it. Put and it where into, are we now? We're nineteen ninety eight. Ninety eight, exactly. Right, okay. um, put it into beta testing. Started, got up to about I think about forty five, fifty thousand users. Then was and they were paying you what? No, no it? one was paying. It was all free in those okay, days. Right. Um, and then so it's we just went, a data. You were selling the the, the, the model, not the, not the growing work. user base. Okay. Growing user base. And there was the theory in those days that every user was worth X pounds a yeah. head or whatever it was. It was yeah. ridiculous. We know now, but in those days that was the common wisdom. Uh, and then we thought, okay, we need to raise money. We need to carry on the growth and uh, do a big marketing coming. We need to pay for that. Beef up the technology beef up the staff and we went out to raise more money and we decided to do a float and we were going to do a float on the AIM market the alternative investment market we hired brokers lawyers accountants we went through all that and um, you know I did all the presentations it was a massive learning experience to all the different institutions everyone was committing to raising money then two three days before we were going to actually float as a public company and I would have been uh, managing director of a public company a private investment fund came in and they paid us 10 million dollars for a 20% stake in the business so it, wow. it valued the business at 31 and a quarter million pounds in those days which was unbelievable um, considering I'd worked for all my career at Lim Franks yeah, right. which was a great PR agency with and, brilliant and, people brilliant clients and was worth nowhere 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 near that 
And then, but another.com, that was, I don't know, 18 months in? I don't, is that about that? How that about? was within six months. Well, we were, <laughs> it was the most unbelievable journey. And we had one, in, one full-time employee at the time oh who was goodness. this grungy systems admin guy. So you just went, yeah. Yeah, we um, took the money. Yeah. And we went, I remember we went outside. We we kind of were, were pretty happy once we'd got the yeah, check came through. Imagine. And then we went and built a business. So then we, we beefed up, moved to offices, um, hired lots of people, spent, you know, a million pound on a ad campaign or whatever we did we got nearly up to 2 million users and it was a, a and massive they, great and they still weren't paying you any it was money it all free and still no. the conceived wisdom Brilliant. was there and I, I looked at it and I thought this doesn't add up no. and if I could have got out after five minutes and sold my stake, you I'd have been done. a happy man. But, yeah. you know, everyone was plowing on raising money. And, and I just couldn't see how these businesses from the inside, I couldn't see how it would ever make money. And, yeah. you know, I used to look at it and we used to be spending two, three hundred thousand pounds a month was our burn rate, as they called it, in terms of how much we'd spend and, on and the technology. And you weren't making a penny. <laughs> we weren't making a penny. We made about 15, 20 quid a month, something like that. <laughs> It was quite ridiculous. So per user or in total? In total for the business. <laughs> it was it was that ridiculous of how much money these businesses used to make, which was nothing. But still wow. the market and the people they, behind it were crazy about let's, growing, let's keep going, growing numbers. Keep, right. you know, and if it's worth £30 million this year, it will be worth £300 million next year. Wow. As, it, as it happened, the bottom fell out of the dot-com market. But you got out before that? I got out just before that. So How, the, how close was it? Uh, well, we needed to raise more money. We, we were coming towards the end of our money. Uh, right. There was a big disagreement as it happens when sometimes greedy people get involved as did get involved with our business over the time um who th- who kind of un- have unrealistic expectations of what the future holds right i was perhaps more of a realist anyway so the company ended up close to running out of money and the original investors came back in and put some more money into the business and also bought me and another shareholder out and about a year later the business had subsequently died. And did you stay an employee or were you nope. gone by then? I, I got so they just out. said Graham off you go son much. we'll, we'll buy you. Yeah. Um, and also, I was and delighted. that was what year what two thousand and that was that was wow. two thousand, and it all happened quite nicely because by the year two thousand, all the restricted covenants I had in place from when I got out of Lim Franks gotcha. had expired or were expiring. I was missing PR um, quite a could. lot, uh, and uh, someone had engaged at another dot com to be our marketing consultant was an ex client of mine, a guy called Philip Lay, who ran an agency called Branded and Branded were like a consultants to all these dot coms and he was like your kind of marketing director that you didn't really have in your own business. And he'd been marketing director at Sky and at Sega, who had been clients of mine. He was a you know genius guy, a bit of a guru in the industry and so I was working with him at another.com, and he was helping me, giving my advice. He'd yeah. gone from being my but, client. But, but uh, you got out of another.com with a, a you know, let's not, let's not leave the specifics out, but at that point you were a well-off guy. You were, you, you'd made a few quid. You, 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 done all right, yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. so at that point you, you, had, op- you had options, well, I'd, shall I'd we sort say? Of, I sort of, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, also when I got out of Lim Franks at the time, it was a considerable amount of money as well, right. um, you know, at Lim Franks for me anyway. Um, so it wasn't, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, so you it had was equity fair. in Lim Franks? I can't, yeah, so, yeah. I had this phantom equity type yeah, scheme it was that it was okay. called. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... Um, what, what does that mean? But they, phantom equity means you, 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 you had a well, you had some skin in the equity, game. Skin in the game that basically vests or comes real when an event happens, in this case when the, the sale when the, when a sale happens. Right. Otherwise, okay. there isn't, you, don't, you weren't entitled to dividends on but, it. But interestingly, without, you know, you'd... Ha- you'd, you'd <laughs> two things you'd done, Lin Franks PR and then another dot com... Mm. I mean, all credit to you for doing it, but mm. they both come off spectacularly, hadn't they? I mean, you, you know, they—they'd yeah, I mean, they, come out yeah. perfectly for, yeah. for, for in terms of 
an investment. Well, it comes out perfectly, but it came yeah. out. I was happy. Yeah, exactly. You know, no one can say it's perfect, but no, you, it can always happy. go better. Yeah. But you know what I mean. It was. It, yeah. it, you 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 done. But they were right. good. Also, they were very good for me. They were very good learning experiences okay. because they were, you know. You know, sometimes, you know, when it gets legal as well, it gets a bit, yeah. you're a bit scared the first time it gets legal. The second time, you're less scared because you've done it the third time, you're, yeah. you're actually quite look forward to yeah, it. So point. I'm still petrified of lawyers. So, right, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. But, you you're, know, you just, kind of learn situations. Just like, you bring it on, boys. No, but, no, but you <laughs> learn how to judge situations. Okay. You learn how to, you know, construct deals when you do at the outset. So all that experience was you know stood me in good stead and obviously i've used it you know since as well in 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 in, in other dealings but um you know it was it was uh, I, and we were talking about the um another.com how it led me to this this old client of mine phil lay of branded and and branded at the time were as i said a very cutting edge marketing agency doing great work with clients like another.com and um phil always used to keep asking me he said graham can you recommend any good pr agencies and um I sort of could, but then I said to him, because I knew my, you know, I was just about to do the deal at another.com, and I said to Phil, well, so instead of me recommending you loads of PR agents the whole time, how about we set one up? Mm. I'll go and get a couple of people um, that I think are good. Um, you put the money in. Right. You know, I was still in the day job there at another.com, um, and you put the money in, and uh, and I'll put the expertise in, and hey, presto, we'll have a, a PR agency. And you so, put it Frank PR? Called it Frank PR. It wasn't my idea for the name. Um, I can't say. Actually, I, I don't know how it came about, the name, but it was a brilliant idea. So Normally let, the brilliant me, ideas are my ideas, but this one wasn't. So, so let me just say so you'd – I'm just intrigued by that. So you were when you set up Frank PR, you were still at another.com? I was still just about, just about another.com. And but, but you knew it was coming. You knew your time there was coming to an end. Yeah, I knew yeah. it was probably – and I was just trying to work okay. it. To, to but when to, you set up Frank PR, you weren't – uh, the you, idea you was weren't... I wasn't be full time. The idea that okay. I was going to be chairman, um, and... but, but it wasn't your gig. It wasn't you know you didn't have you had a few percentage. No, I was or... yeah I was I was the I mean I was the majority individual shareholder in okay. it still. Right. But Phil was the or this, his firm was the with the investor in it, um, and they were the first client or. Not they really. weren't a client. They were they were they, an investor, and their 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 reason Sorry. for getting involved was they could refer all their clients to this hot new PR agency gotcha. that they were also and and who an who were your first? Who did you say right? Who were going to get? Are they some familiar names? No, no. Well, in what in terms of people? In terms of employees? Oh, employees. Yeah. Well, em, employees. I went back to um, to a person that I'd worked with at, uh, at Lim Franks. I'd actually hired at Lim Franks, uh, 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 Mr. Andrew Block, who uh, a very young Andrew Block. A very young. Well, I was a point. young. I was a young Graham Goodkind at the time, but he was an even <laughs> younger Andrew Block at the time. There is a picture right. of the two of us, which looks frightening in terms of what we looked like in those okay. days. So you took him out of. I took him out of Ketchum. Was, He'd stayed with Ketchum right. when the takeover happened. He also said uh, uh gray he also said gray there's this great girl that i've met um uh i work with a, a ketchum that i think would like to join us as well um and uh she joined us as well which was uh great so and and then i got and my who, what was her name nadia gabby yeah and then um got my old pa at lim franks a girl called lee who came as our sort of office manager so we were four people from day one right we were in these offices of a client of that, that had been referred to us by branded but, but the genesis of the agency was basically what frank is today it was a a, a media savvy consumer pr firm doing yeah. doing doing humorous inventive creative work th- is that maybe a bit deeper than that i think right. for me the thing one of the things i'd learned going back when i talked about the football analogy was a kind of uh, lots of people start pr agencies in my opinion 
um, or PR businesses without thinking through the what's their business model. You right. think, oh, I'm just going to do PR yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna get paid for yeah. it and that's how we're going to make a living. And no one really thinks it through. And, and just doing the best PR doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have a good business. And no. I quite liked to have a business well, it, model in behind a, it. In a way, bec- I mean, clients will always want more, won't they? Yeah. So, so therefore, if, if you if you, you and then and therefore your profit margin will constantly be be be, be pressurized, be. Yeah. and and you therefore you can in a way it become it can be a, become a law of depreciating returns, presumably. So, well, PR so was what, very much a time based business yeah, when exactly. I got into so it, and got, yeah. and 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 what I didn't want to do in my business model was 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 the opposite to that and in some ways broke convention and yeah. still does it still does yeah. still does and that you know when i started business i kind of thought well what i want to do and the bit i loved about pr the two bits i love about pr in this business is the creativity and the ideas and then on the other side i like weirdly the commercial and 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 and, and financial and entrepreneurial bit of it as, so as in the financial entrepreneurial bit of, of running, running a business, business yeah. so the, I, yeah. I like those two things normally they don't yeah. go together but for me they seem yeah. to but so so frank's business but, model so i said about but frank, is there any correlation between between the amount of time you spend on an idea and how good the idea is? No, okay. um, not in my opinion. Um, can do sometimes. But, I mean, that kind of goes back to what I'm saying about the model. For me, exactly. the model uh, for Frank and the business model we're going to assume was that it was all about coming up with the best ideas and the best ideas that kick-started talkability. And talkability was a word that I coined and had always used and had trademarked for Frank as well. And that became our our, our ethos, if you like. But it was all about coming up with ideas that create talkability and being the most creative or being one of the most creative agencies out there. And, and but, for, but what's the secret of that? I mean, well, that secret, is, and in a way, there's no answer to that, but it's quite... Well, it's quite intriguing that you've it's a way to do of thinking. that for 20 years, isn't it's a, it's, it's, I think it's a way of thinking, and okay. there's a process behind a it. A tabloid way of thinking? Uh, I don't know. I'd call, I'd call it, we, you know, it's, a, it's another another podcast maybe to do, but it's all about kind of talkability and how to create the viral effect and how to create it. And there is there is a kind of process that we adopt. You know, now it's sort okay. of second nature to so, me. So it is a process. It's not a... Well, I think it, it can, you can a, have these moments and nuggets of inspiration and there's this things that you just pluck out the ether that, yeah. that are those sparks but to be doing that nowadays day in day out exactly. for clients is not that easy to no. do without some sort of format to put it in right. and some context of thinking so i like to contextualize creativity a little bit but going back to the model my point was that if you could come up with an idea that was good enough then a client wouldn't mind if it took you an hour a hundred hours a thousand exactly. hours yeah. for it to work and to make it happen as long as it I mean, wouldn't, the results wouldn't the mind park. isn't even strong. It wouldn't care. Would doesn't it? care. I mean, so we never worked a time. Doesn't matter. Does the bottom it? line is we never worked a time. And yeah. then you know, if a client would pay us a fee, then it was up to us that, that our efficiency was judged on the quicker we could come up with a great idea, okay. then the better. And the better an idea was, the less actual work you have to totally. do to implement it. Some yeah. of the you know people working PR listeners to this podcast will know that some of the old crap that stories that they have to sell in, and that selling is a nightmare days. for people. It's phone bashing, yeah. and that takes time, and that costs the business money. Now, if you can come up with a much better idea doesn't require selling in people almost spread the story for yeah. you particularly now with uh, the growth of social media and all the different channels that exist to me it's a no-brainer to over invest in the ideas conception stage then you have to you know not under invest so, so in the implementation but you have to do a lot less implementation sure so what you would you know without my pete without being too peter jonesy on the quote you'd you've scaled that ability to become up to come up with ideas in a in, in a yeah. in a processed way. Correct. And it's right. quite hard. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not an easy well, thing to do. That was going to be my next question, was that the, you know, I kind of get it from a Graham and Andrew are very creative people, very media savvy people. 
uh, and when you, you launched Frank in 2000 and, and and therefore you know I don't know for five years four years six years you know you get it you know you, you can you can keep that ball rolling of momentum of new clients of fresh ideas and maybe the same ideas for new clients I, I don't know but but to keep doing it for well 18 years that takes some doing doesn't it I mean you and you and Andrew have basically been at the epicenter of that business for 18 years and continuously coming up with with, with new creative ideas for clients like that's the bit i don't quite get how you've done well i think you breed a culture um to do that um so you know you tend to thrive in a culture where these new ideas where people start to understand the frank way of thinking and the frank modus operandi when it comes to creativity so like-minded people yeah and and training people and people that thrive in that environment and they like it i mean we've always tended to um invest in younger people and you know frank is well known as a fantastic breeding ground for some of the best young talent a bit like lim franks was funny enough but you know we we we, we have a a real in-depth scouting mechanism whereby we'll you know take on people as work experience literally as work experience and the spot good ones will spot we'll offer them freelance contracts and then off after that hopefully take them on and we'll employ 10 12 people a year through that r- route to ensure so that you we're still you still do that now still doing that now right. to scale the best talent and you know i've always believed as well that actually you'd rather employ some younger, fresher people totally, than you would yeah. older, experienced people. Yeah. That these people don't know what's right or what's wrong. Don't you know? Aren't the sort of people that say, "Oh, that would never work. This would never work. That would never work." Don't have those negative impulses that actually people who've been in the industry and other agencies for two, yeah. three years might well have. Not to say that we don't recruit lots of people from other agencies because not everyone's as negative as that. But well, you, need the, a, you need a balance in your team. Correct. Part yeah. of the culture is bringing through this fresh blood that has right. this, this, this so to get 12, almost this naivety of youth, which I love as well. Yes, but to get twelve people who you employ or, or, or freelance contract, how many have you got to try? Is it, what's the ratio? And we we probably have at any one time probably about five or six people on work experience, and we kind of do three week long work experience. Um, packages and and right. but we keep a very close eye to try and scour it for the best ones because right. it, they are doing work experience so yeah. Yeah. we're not asking to do much more than that and the ones that we like we then put on contract to do and pay you know to do uh you know to do freelance jobs and then okay. we scout so it's, it's a proper process again to right. scouting for the best talent okay so one thing i was going to ask you about frank was that you know you personally you clearly know how to run a good pr business PR, uh, frank is synonymous with creating I guess clever, humorous campaigns, but also making good margins. Um, mm-hmm. Frankly, in a competitive consumer agency market, um, you've talked a bit about how Frank has retained that ability to come up with ideas. But what, what I suppose, I don't know, it doesn't have to be limited to three. But there's a lot of people who I'm sure will listen to this podcast who are starting out in their PR career. Lots of them will be thinking or have already set up their own agency. What, what? pieces of advice would you give them as a young PR entrepreneur to to start up a a new PR firm? Um, I'll I'll try and limit it to three, as you asked. If if you're coming at four, I'm not going to mind. Okay. Um, Well, I think firstly, if you want to start up your own business and your own agency, then do it. There's never a good time to do it. There's never a bad time to do it, but there's certainly never a good time. And in life, we constantly have a habit of putting stuff off um, because, oh, busy year this year, I'm going to do this this year, this is happening next year, I've got whatever it might be. You know, when I set up Frank in 2000, I'd just sold out of one business, set up another business. In March 2000, my twins, Summer and Dexter, were born. 
and that's quite a handful. My my my, my first first children, our only children that we had, but having twins is a bit of a handful. So we'd had to move out of our flat into a rented accommodation just before February two thousand, and then six months later, once they were born and sort of like we knew what life would be like, we then bought a house. So that was towards the end of two thousand. So you had a bit, and on. then had to move into that. So in a year, I'd kind of left. A job in another com, start a new job, start a new business, had twins, life changing, moved a couple of times as well. You know, it wouldn't wasn't the ideal year on paper that you'd have picked yep. to set up a new. But PR something inside well. you went, I'm going to go for it, or yeah. opportunity knocked, or whatever else. Correct, it was yeah. the right time. It felt the right thing. So, so my first tip would be don't don't put stuff off just because you think there's other things happening in your life, then you'll wait another year. If it, if, you know, don't. You can it, always, it's too but, easy to make excuses. But, but not at the same time, stuff. you had a nugget of an idea you thought could work. Yeah, right? I was quite so, confident. So I didn't, people need that, don't they? To be honest, I didn't really think about it. I right. just had confidence. You know, I, I, again... Uh, so if your number. old client had rung you up and said, I'm up for it, are you up for it, do you think you'd have launched Frank? I think it was the right time. You know, we're having conversations. He but, was, but without that... Oh, he didn't ring up. He was just saying well, at the time, okay, you know, do you know any good PR agencies? And I thought, well, I know okay. a good one if I set one up. But if that, if that conversation hadn't happened, do you think you'd have, done, do you think you'd have got there? Or do you think that was a? Uh, I you think know, it would have still happened. Okay. Some, but but some maybe some, a bit later on. Yeah, but, some other shape. Yeah. Who knows when it would happen? But you know, life's like that, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Things yeah. come up and little yeah. opportunities. That's what arise. I meant. Really, yeah. it was you know, it's a bit of it's there's a always bit a bit of, fortune, of luck. A bit, and, oh, 100% yeah. is a bit like. So I think yeah. first thing I'd say is there's never an ideal time. Right. And and the second thing, like you've said, I guess is is spot those openings. Be aware and have the awareness to spot those openings. Have confidence in your own ability. A lot of people, you know, always knock themselves a bit too much, and I think they're a bit unfair on themselves. And you know, I never, you know, people say, oh, wasn't it a risk setting up a PR agency? Well, what's risky about it? I mean, it's as as far as businesses go to set up, a PR agency doesn't really require tons of investment or tons of risk. It's not mm. like you've got to invest in building a bloody factory or something no. like that. It's, you know, it's, you've got to raise money. You don't, you've got to employ like, people, but yeah. yeah but, but, you know, yeah. hopefully that, that, that that's, 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 the, that's your risk. But if you're winning But that's intriguing, though, isn't it? I mean, I, just to come to test you a bit on that, uh, and I, I don't want you to give details of your financial affairs uh, away that's unfair for you to ask but the if if somebody is you can launch a business and invest uh, it sounds to me like you'd made a few quid with through the sale of Lynn Franks and the sale of another dot com and so you you were you, you you had your mortgage paid or you know you knew you, you could pay for your mortgage and that sort of stuff but if you're sitting there not being able to pay your mortgage or you Launching a new business is a moment of risk, isn't it? Yeah, well, so I, I'm just trying to, you know, what I've I mean? discussed I'm, this a lot with right. people, and I've analysed this, but I, I think it's not, it's not necessarily a factor of your individual uh, wealth or not. I just think it's your your perception of risk. To me, setting up a PR agency wasn't a risk. I'd done it for nine years previously at okay. Lynn Franks. I'd learned so much. So you much. knew you could do it. I knew it I could do it. it. I knew I was pretty good at it. I knew I had a good model for doing okay. it. I knew a good approach. Right. To me, it wasn't. A risk, you know. If you ask me tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to set up a, you know, a candle making business. That would be a risk. A I don't know. I haven't yeah. got a clue. Yeah. You know. Um. So, it's it's right. it's it, it, to me. I didn't. But other people would still look at it as a risk. I appreciate that. But for me, maybe I was confident in my own ability. That's why I didn't. I didn't perceive the risk like some other people would. But um. Okay. But I th- I, th- I think that that's sort of tied into when you said about other advice with people's ideas. I think. You know, the other point which I sort of touched on is I think when you set up an agency, you've got to have a bit of a business model behind it. It's not, 
so your business isn't just to do PR. Have an idea of how you're going to make money yeah. out of your PR and business your, as well. And your idea was sell the idea. Ideas, to sell time. It's all about creating intellectual property. It's not right. about the time. It's about the results and the ideas that do that and the best ideas so you, you come up with. So you've got to have a, a positioning. Correct. That, that was our positioning. And, right. and I have to say we're pretty true to that model. Still today we don't do timesheets or anything like that, you know, nearly 18 years later. And we never have the, we've never okay. been questioned about it by clients. Clients are perfectly happy to work with Well, presumably us. you're pretty upfront about it. You Correct. Know, no one. You, you, Correct. You know. So, so, so have your model in mind, and other people will have different models. And yeah, it's, yours you know, isn't right for everybody, but it's worked for you. Spot on. Yeah. And I think, I think the um, the last thing, which is a good bit of advice, is never take um, no for an answer. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, are negative about stuff. And um, you know, I remember the first year of Lim Franks, one of the people we got introduced to as a potential new client was Amstrad, and we went and pitched. Um, for Amstrad and I remember the marketing manager there like said great really like you guys but you know what I'm going to stick with my current PR agency who who were completely wrong for them and we went away from the pitch and I thought oh, such a wrong decision yeah, okay. we've been a break for the break for client and I thought you know perfect. what I'm not going to have this yeah, I'm not okay. going to have this and um, that happened to me the other day funnily enough but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I managed to get in touch with because obviously Amstrad in those days was owned by uh Alan Sugar now Lord Sugar, um, and I knew someone who knew his son, and I remember calling up his son uh, Simon, and I said, "Look, I haven't spoken to him before, but I, I just said your marketing manager sort of made the wrong decision here. I think we'd be perfect for you. Can I come in and show you our plans and, and the picture, whatever we had? Anyway, one thing led to another. I managed to get back in there, and we managed to see Simon, convince the the marketing director or marketing manager that." We were good, and we got hired by Amstrad. Right. And and that was sheer persistence, never taking no for an answer. Amstrad are now not Amstrad anymore, but they're now part of Am's Hole, which is Lord Sugar's company. We still yeah. work for them today, yeah. 17 years later. And that was a client that you know we, we fought bloody hard to win in year one. And, and, and that never was, lost. That was, that, was, that was through never taking So no you won that in 2000? Or 2001 yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, probably on the cusp of those two. Wow. But the, the thing, yeah, probably 2001 because we set up in September 2000. But um, that was never take no for an answer. And I think, you know, when I've, when I've thought about it, actually, I, I've, I've, I've kind of don't do that anymore even sometimes. And no, yeah, I, I, As I'm talking about it with you now, I'm thinking I should do it more. I'm why, thinking that. It's just why, saying that. Why, I'm thinking, yeah. Why lose that? Yeah. Why lose that? Like the pitch that? I lost last week, I'm thinking I might give another ring. Exactly. Yeah, why yeah. do that? That, that yeah. hunger and that passion, You sometimes as you get older or you get yeah. more successful, maybe you lose that. But that's actually what makes you successful. So never take no for an answer. I think the other thing, just as a spin-off from that, which is maybe a bit more facetious, is sometimes never take yes for an answer. Because sometimes I've been in pitches or meetings and the client goes, yeah, 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 all the way through. They, you know, any questions to ask? Everything's perfect. Thank you very much. Like, you know, like, like, yeah. Yeah. like that. And then everything's you know, been fine. deep down you know. And deep down you yeah. know because they haven't actually objected or asked any questions or yeah. that that wasn't actually such a good thing. So They're I guess just trying to get you I out of there. De- definitely never yeah. take no for an answer, but also sometimes be a bit suspicious of, okay. of, a, of, of an easy yes as right. well. Now, we're, we're running out of time, but I, okay. it's an intriguing story of how you how you sold Frank and then kind of brought it back. Just talk me through how that came about. What, what's, what, 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 did, what, what were the, I don't know, the... How did that all, all happen? Well, okay, well, the business was building nicely, and it was about 2006, um, and uh, we were growing quickly, winning awards left, right, and center, um, lots of exciting stuff happening. And at that time, the groups 
other bigger groups were were getting interested in in acquiring smaller agencies and we were a new kid on the block doing very nicely it was also looking back on it it was quite a good time in the market this was pre yep. all the financial the global financial crisis when there was plenty of money swishing about to to do deals so um we had a few people sniffing about us um we were never proactively out there for sale and I've never done anything to try and sell us, which was maybe quite a good thing as well because, you know, if you're not in play, then people want you a bit more. Anyway, so I'd started conversations with a couple of parties and there was one party, UK PLC, that I really liked um, and they made an offer for Frank, a formal offer, which I really liked, but I just felt it was a little bit too early. Uh, and I said, you know, let me come back in a year when our profit has reached this certain number and, uh, you know, will you hold your offer open for a year? Will it be on the same basis? They said yes. Um, sure enough, a year later, I'd got the frank profit up to the level that I wanted to. I went back to them and said, okay, I've done my bit. Is your office still open like it said it would, like you said it would be? And they said yes. So they were good to their word. And we said, okay, let's get it on. So we sort of like um, sort of agreed to proceed. And then I thought, oh, my God, I don't know what to do now. What <laughs> shall I do? I've never done one of these. This was a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I engaged services of... Um, KPMG, so a big uh, respected uh, um, firm of accountants who my wife actually had known a, a guy there who was the head of the M&A in this sector. Um, and while we were working with them or while I'd engaged him, he then phoned me up one morning and said, look, Graham, he goes, as it happens, um, I've just seen an email from our Sydney office. We've got a, a marketing services uh, group from Australia. One of our clients of KPMG in Sydney is coming over next week. Why don't you meet them? While you're talking to other people, it's always quite good to have more than one person in play. Yep. So I said, all right. Better bargaining position. Yeah. So yep. I, oh, all right. I met up with them for a coffee. These are these Australians who turned out to be called Photon. Um, gotten really well with them. They came back a few weeks later. As it happens, the deal that I had with the UK PLC was probably falling through a little bit and probably wasn't going to happen for one reason or other. The Australian didn't know that. No. Um, and they came back. I met the chief executive, the CEO. We all got on swimmingly. I uh, met him in Mayfair Hotel. I remember he wrote on a napkin an, an offer for the business, which kind of blew my, blew my head off, really, in terms of the offer that I'd had from this other company. Right, so it was, it was more than the UK offer. The UK PLC it was miles offer. more than the offer yeah. we had. Um, yeah. And um, a month later, um, we'd sold the business for you know for what was at the time, and I think still remains, an awful lot of money. Um, and um, you know they were really good people, and that, that kind of I was also conscious when I when I was doing these negotiations to sell the business that I didn't want to stop doing PR. I love PR. Um, I love the industry, and I love what I did. And I was in my early forties at the time, yeah. um, so I didn't really want to stop. What I was doing. What, what and, was the times profit? I mean, without giving the the, the, the money around. So, we, what was the the ratio of profit to to, to the deal value? The, the the deal value was they paid um, six times the profit of the firm on day one right. in cash, um, and then they played after two years. And this is all public information, so it can all be found. After two years, they then paid nine times the difference because we'd grown the profit so much in the intervening two years. They paid another nine times. Right. And then there was a deal two years after that where they paid another nine times the profits of the business that were made. And that's basically where it came unstuck, right? I mean, to your advantage, ultimately. Yeah, it started, but... came unstuck at the last one. They paid the first two, which was fantastic. The right. first one was the cake. The second one was the icing on the cake. The third one, which was the cherry on the icing. Because presumably the they, they never thought you'd hit the numbers well, that, that you... Well, they, they'd done this deal with a few other companies, and right. a few other companies had done very, had been very successful like we had in, when we sold the business. We, a, we continued to grow and a expand. B- a big and, incentive clause. Correct, but... a big incentive clause for me, and it was for other you know CEOs and yeah. chairmen of other businesses they 
they bought, and that ultimately brought them down because yeah. they faced a situation when they had hun- literally hun- over a hundred million. So it wasn't only you that they. There's about four or five companies right. that had been successful that they that they bought in the UK, in America. I mean, and it in Australia. seems extraordinary, doesn't it, that that that, that, that deal happened? But it did. Correct. So. But that was the time. That was you know you don't see these 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 times come around in cycles. I don't think you'll see this wave again. No, so. But you might I, in I another ten the, twenty from years. From their perspective, that maybe the, the cost of borrowing money increased or something. So therefore, they. But I mean the the I remember the headlines at the time. But but basically, Frank was was bankrupting its its holding company because yeah. they had to. You know, Frank was, and the others, the other <laughs> successful yeah, one, because yeah. they had to. They owed us a lot of money in earn out. <laughs> So um, yeah, long story short, we they, managed. They to do- had to do a deal with you to to save the holding company, correct? So yeah. the, which they did, which involved another payout, yeah. um, and then subsequently after that, when when we signed the deal, we were on as as is very common, you're on an earnout, so we were on a four year earnout. As that earnout was coming to an end, um, didn't want to leave. Um, they didn't want me to leave, and long story short, they gave uh, us back twenty five percent of the business for free, just to stay on for another four years. So, and let them out of the the, the contract. That presumably, yeah, and let, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a bit more detail yeah, to it. But, but again, it, they're a public company, so if anyone does want to squirrel away at the information, sure, it is all available. But, um, and it was a few years back, to be fair. It's a few so, years back. Yeah. So, so then we were in a position whereby, you know, where Frank is now owned seventy five percent by Photon. Well, Photon now oh, are yeah. renamed to Enero. Yeah, yeah. um, different company, different management, and a lot more stable and a lot, a lot, a lot better run. Um, and twenty five percent owned by the management. So it's twenty five percent owned by myself, uh, by Andrew, and by Alex, who's the KMT. Okay. Um, but it's a happy ending. Yeah, exactly. But so you've kind of seen it from both sides, haven't you? You've been the the independent and you've been group owned. Um, mm. It's a big comparison, isn't it? In your role, what's the? Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think you had to summarise that quickly. What's the, what's the difference between running an independent PR firm and running one? as part of a holding company. Well, I've kind of run an independent firm, then I've run a firm that was 100% owned, and now I run a, uh, one that's majority so, yeah. owned. So, um, you know, when you are 100% owned by someone, you know, it does feel a bit different. You were, For the first time in my life, yeah. or frank life, I was an employee again, um, and working on an earn out. And, and luckily for me, as I said, part I didn't want to ruin the the relationship I had with PR and the business. And, and when I was choosing who to sell the business to, the big reason why I sold it to an Australian company was they were in Australia. And if you're in Australia, it's bloody difficult to run a company in the UK to interfere or or get involved. Um, and, and they'd always said, uh, and I thought this was very wise words, I always remember they said the words, although that although we may own the business financially we understand that you own the business emotionally okay. and i thought that was quite wise yeah. and 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 they were good to their word on that yeah, right. and and so it never if really disappeared it, it never really problem. felt like yeah. it never really felt like we were owned by someone subsequently now the way the business is run is it's it's run like you know i have a major shareholder that i have to answer to as well as myself being yeah. a being a major shareholder as well so you know to me it's much more a relationship where i'm the chairman of a board that is acting in the best interests of shareholders okay so what is the future of graham Goodkind? well that's good timing that you've asked the question ben because i've very recently gone plural um so i'm spending 30 percent of my working life at frank um as chairman and still as passionate and committed as ever and the rest of the time i'm kind of devoting to other business interests. So I'm already a active shareholder and a director in a number of other things and I want to extend that remit and get involved in more businesses and things that I'm interested in. I mean, who knows, one of my dreams has always been to own a football club, that would be a nice one, but certainly other consultancy projects 
and other businesses that sort of take my fancy and uh, and that I'd like to contribute to. So finally, am I am I right in thinking that you 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 outpoint Jamie Murray in a ranking? In a, in a racket sport ranking, I should say. Good question. Um, it's true. I'm a, a I'm a player of a relatively new sport called paddle tennis. P A D E L. I had to Google that, and it was it was fun. It's a fun. It's a cross between squash and tennis. Right. Um, very played as doubles on a two thirds size tennis court. Very fast paced. Um, fantastic sport. Um, and uh, I play on the British Paddle Tour. So, uh, which is a reasonably serious. I mean, can I go and play on the British? Paddle tour, or is it, it, do, you, do I have to, you know, be vetted to? Can anyone turn up and do that, or have you reached no, a you certain have to level? Be, you to have to reach a certain level, so you're category right. A, B, or C. Right. Uh, is and you've you reached are. that level. I've played in category B, right. um, and I also play now in category C as well okay. sometimes. Um, and, and C's yes. the best. What? C's category. No, C's A's the best. A's gotcha. for professionals. Gotcha. And they're mainly Spanish or South American the professionals. B is pretty good. Lots but of somehow Spanish. Somehow you outrank Jamie Murray. I do outrank. Currently I outrank I think I was sixty first and he was sixty ninth. I checked out. I think, is, like the, that. I think yeah. is is the official ranking. And my pitch was that he hadn't actually played a game, but you assure me that's not the case. He just hasn't scored any points. So gotcha. yeah. And that's that's Andy Murray's brother, just so it's not yeah. just Jamie no, no, Murray. Yeah, off, yeah. Just a random you know, or maybe a, it's a random <laughs> Jamie Murray. No, it's, it's a good player, but he, yeah. But he but it's uh, he plays in a, I think he plays in in A division being a, a professional as a professional tennis player. So you get a lot of uh, players on paddle tour and in paddle who are very either very good tennis players or very good squash players because it's that's the crossover to the sport. But okay. look it up on YouTube. It's a brilliant sport to watch. Brilliant, Graham. Good kind. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.